As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Wendy. And I'm Jess, and you're listening to the Food Heaven Podcast. Your online resource for inclusive and accessible wellness. Girl, so we just got done with such an amazing recording, such an amazing podcast episode. I cannot wait for you guys to listen to this one. I had chills the whole time that the guest was talking because she has such a unique perspective on body image and cultivating body image resilience that I think you guys are really going to love. So the guest is Dr. Lindsay Kite and her and her sister, Dr. Lexi Kite are both PhDs and they have been researching body image resilience and media literacy for over a decade. And they founded this incredible organization called morethanabody.org where they talk about this concept of beauty and, you know, beauty not being our life's work. We get into it, but it's just so incredible the work that they're doing. Yeah, we talk about so many things relating to beauty, body confidence, objectification, and how beauty or what we see as beautiful informs who we're attracted to. We get into so much. Yeah. And the cool thing is that Lindsay doesn't hold back and she gives like personal examples in real world of, you know, even just down to like dating profiles and how this plays a role and, you know, how do you include attraction and preferences, but also not objectify yourself and others. It's just like such a powerful conversation. I promise you guys will love it. Also with her book, like as soon as I read this book, literally there are patients where I'm just like, you have to read this book. Like I am buying you a copy and sending it to your house. It's called More Than a Body. Um, So I can't wait to jump into this conversation with Lindsay. But before we do that, you guys know the drill. We're going to read you a review from the pod. And this review is from Awesome Yaw Librarian. I've listened to this podcast since I heard Wendy and Jess on another round many years ago, and it's changed my eating habits, my body, and my attitude towards those things for the better. Plus, the podcast is just so much fun to listen to. Thank you, Awesome Yaw Librarian, (laughs) for that really sweet review. And like Jess said, if you haven't already, make sure you drop some stars, leave a few lines, and yeah, we're going to jump right in. Okay, Lindsay, we are so excited to have you here because your book is such a game changer. You and your twin sister's book. Um, When it comes to body image, and I was saying before we started recording that I have been looking for a book like this that is practical, that also includes social justice, because that's really important to me. And for me to recommend something that has to be part of the conversation. And just after reading your book, it was, I read it very quickly. The quote that stuck with me the most um, that I hadn't thought about was this idea that your beauty 
is not your life's work. I'd love for you to like talk a little bit more about what you mean by that. Sure. I love that that resonated with you because that really is kind of a good summary for so much of what we do because it counteracts so much of the other messaging you hear in this world. Likely for all three of us, we've grown up with these messages about how your beauty is maybe the most important thing about you. Sometimes it's that blatant. Sometimes it's really that obvious when people are saying like, you know, you you better be beautiful so that you can get a man, you can have a happy life. Your health depends on how your body looks. All the success in the world is tied to our feelings of whether or not we're perceived as beautiful and attractive and desirable by other people. But the whole point of all this, the whole book and really everything that we do at Beauty Redefined is that when you can get your focus off of simply beauty and how you appear to other people, your whole world opens up. Not only your body image, not only will that improve, but your feelings of possibility throughout the rest of your life, your relationships will be more fulfilling, more connected, your health will improve because you're not focused so much on how you appear as opposed to how you feel, all that kind of stuff. Mm. So I want to talk about the concept of body confidence and body acceptance, because I saw that you don't recommend doing a lot of like the I am beautiful. I, you know, I want to hear a little bit more about that because I see that all the time, like the daily affirmations. And it just honestly, I feel like it's kind of cheesy. It just doesn't (laughs) resonate. Not necessarily the body stuff, but just like the, you are powerful, you are whatever. And I'm just, you know, when I'm not feeling so great, it just isn't really helpful to be honest. And so I'm wondering, like, what are your (laughs) thoughts about that? Because I see that all the time, especially when it comes to like body positivity. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Because a lot of times when you're just saying something out loud to yourself, or repeating something, it's insincere. Like you don't really believe it. You might be having such a terrible day and you're looking in the mirror saying, I'm amazing, I'm wonderful, I'm beautiful, I'm powerful. (laughs) And you don't really believe it. So it's not necessarily going to fix you. So I definitely get that. As far as the I am beautiful stuff, yeah, there's definitely a disconnect between that and what is actually effective at helping you improve your body image. So I think one of the biggest, most foundational problems in all of this is that When people are thinking about body image as a problem, especially among girls and women, and especially in the last 15 to 20 years, then they're identifying that the problem is girls don't feel beautiful. And so they're not happy. And so they're not confident. And so they don't have all of the power that they need in this world. It's not just that we don't feel beautiful. It's that our beauty is the most important thing about us. It's that we are fixated on how we appear as opposed to who we are, what we do, how we feel inside our bodies, how we use our bodies, all these things that are that put the agency back on us as opposed to how other people are perceiving us. And so all of this, I'm beautiful and all girls and women are beautiful. Your flaws make you beautiful. That stuff, it might be a helpful first step for people, especially for people who have been told either subtly or really intentionally throughout their lives that they're not beautiful and that they are not worthy because they're not beautiful. It is important to be able to sometimes take that first step to say, maybe I am beautiful. Maybe the world's perceptions of me or the people that I've been interacting with don't really have it all figured out. And what they've taught me about myself isn't accurate. But what's more important is to then move beyond that, to know that your worth is far beyond how beautiful people perceive you to be, or even how beautiful you feel. You don't have to feel beautiful in order to love your body. 
because your body is not just here to be looked at. This week, our sponsor is Hello Wellness. It's a new line of functional wellness smoothies that support your well-being with energy, brain support, and gut health. Let me break that down a little bit. So they have the It's No Brainer smoothie, and every scoop of that supports brain health with 32 milligrams of omega-3 DHA from plant-based marine algae. So it doesn't have any fish oil if you're worried about that weird fish oil aftertaste. They also have the You've Got Gut smoothie, and every scoop of that has 5 grams of prebiotic fiber and 2 billion CFUs of probiotics to help promote a healthy gut. And then the last one that they have, Spring Into Your Step, has 100 milligrams of caffeine from organic coffee fruit extract, which helps you feel alert and energized throughout the day. So depending on what you're looking for, Hello Wellness offers some great options. And my favorite part is that all you have to do is take a scoop and mix it with your favorite milk. And you don't even have to use a blender. You just shake it up and it's ready to go. These three varieties taste good. They're blender free. They provide functional wellness that's tailored to your needs. So brain health, gut health and energy support. And each scoop has 15 grams of protein. You can find these at myvega.com, M-Y-V-E-G-A.com, or you can also go on Amazon and Whole Foods Market. They have it there as well. All right. So we are going to hop back in. So in your book, you talk about this concept of the sea of objectification, which I've never heard anyone refer to it as that before. And I found it very like mind opening. And you kind of tell the story of you and your sister and kind of being twins. Like that's the ultimate form of like, you know, people are always going to be comparing you and comparing your bodies and kind of how you guys struggled, you know, with that sea of objectification. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that is? And like, was that the inspiration for, you know, starting the, or for doing the work that you do? Yeah, definitely. So it was a very long process throughout our lives to figuring out that we had been so immersed in this objectification that is so rampant in our culture to the point where we entered college and started learning a little bit about it and why our self-perceptions were so negative, so fixated on weight and beauty and all of that. But in the book, we conceived of it in kind of this metaphor of the waters of objectification, the sea of objectification. And that's for a couple of reasons. I think it helps people to be able to visualize something, because obviously this is a really abstract concept. The idea of objectification is that women's bodies in our culture are torn down into objects. We learn to see women from the time we are just little, even in cartoons, in Disney movies, as parts to be looked at. Women are bodies to be evaluated and judged and used and discarded so many times, unfortunately. And so then we learn to take that same view of our own bodies. And our self-perception becomes self-objectified. So we are imagining how we appear to others from the outside looking in, as opposed to being inside our bodies and looking out. Part of our mental energy is dedicated to visualizing how we appear and then monitoring and judging and evaluating that all day long. So the waters of objectification are a way for us to kind of present a metaphor that helps people understand how immersive it is to be in this culture that treats women's bodies as something to be looked at. Most importantly, something to be admired, something to be judged. And when you enter that water, it happens usually when you're young, especially in the U.S. We are invited into these waters of objectification in subtle ways and sometimes in really abrupt ways. So some of the ways that we described it in the book 
are like, you dip your toe in the water when you find your older sister's magazines that depict women's bodies in these really idealized one-dimensional ways and talk about beauty as the end-all be-all for your life and your worth and all of that kind of stuff. You might get swept into the water by a tsunami wave of sexual abuse, something that uses your body as an object against you. And all of that changes your perception of your body. It happens in tiny ways and in huge ways. But we enter those waters, usually when we're pretty young, before adolescence or right around puberty, when we start to see that other people value our bodies for how they look. And so we then take on that same perspective on our own bodies. All this talk about beauty, I'm curious about how you define beauty, because, you know, I think even in, you know, these talks about like self-acceptance and saying like, well, you know, working towards getting to a place where you're like, I'm beautiful as I am. What I've seen is that those definitions, even as they're trying to get to a place of self-acceptance, are still tied into mainstream standards of what's acceptable. So like, you know, I I am beautiful and I mean, this is something that I've done personally as well. Like I am beautiful, but I'm focusing on aspects of myself that might be seen as more desirable. And so that is the reason why I am beautiful. And so I'm just wondering, I mean, with your definition of beauty, is like our physical appearance always tied into that? Or like, how exactly do you define beauty? Because it's so variable. It absolutely is. And it's really hard to separate the two in our culture because we've been fed over and over again this one perception of what it looks like to not only be beautiful, attractive, desirable as a woman in this country, especially in the Western world, but we've been fed the idea that that is what is normal. So, so many of us aren't even seeking to be a perfect 10 and like the hottest woman in the room or in our community or whatever. We're just trying to be normal. And most of us feel abnormal when our bodies look different from every single woman we've ever seen in advertising, in movies, in TV, and now in social media. This is something that has been programmed into us from the time we're so young that we can't even differentiate our ideas of beautiful from our ideas of just what is okay for a woman to look like. And so your question is a really good one because it's good to be able to feel beautiful or whatever that is. But what you're talking about is trying to tease out the difference between beautiful and acceptable to me versus beautiful and desirable to the heterosexual male gaze that we have been fed our whole lives and then turned back upon ourselves. And so this we see this a lot in body positivity online, especially when it's on social media, because the bodies that are like people are trying to expand the definition of beauty, which is a great thing, obviously. We want people to be able to see themselves, to imagine themselves as being beautiful and acceptable and desirable and all that stuff. Those are positive things. But unfortunately, the beauty ideals that are getting expanded are the same ideals that already existed. So you're seeing primarily white women who have curvy bodies, not even, so we're talking hourglass body shapes, pear shapes. You're very rarely seeing beauty ideals that didn't already exist but they're just being expanded in size so much of the time. And so we've got to be critical of that. We have to be super critical of the ways that these same beauty ideals and by very definition, the importance of beauty is just being kind of expanded to include maybe a few more people while still leaving out the vast majority of people anyway. And I think that tells us a lot about how beauty should not be our focus. Feeling beautiful 
is never going to fix our problems. What is going to fix our problems is recognizing the ways we've been taught to view and evaluate our own bodies for how they look, these definitions that they've been held up against and the ways we've sexualized our own self-perceptions and how we can actually recognize how that's affected our lives and learn to push back on it for ourselves and for everyone else. This is not just an individual pursuit. I just want to follow up on something with that, because with you saying that, it makes me question, like, is it actually helpful to strive towards beauty, you know, because our definition of it is so contaminated by like these mainstream standards. And I think for most women who, you know, which which are most women who don't fit into like that mainstream acceptable like beauty standard, I think and this is like I am like thin light skin. And I'm thinking within black beauty standards, I have a lot of privilege and I, it's a stretch for me to be like, I'm beautiful. (laughs) And so I could imagine for someone who is like, not like definitely not considered beautiful within society because of all these different things, like it's just such a stretch. So is it even helpful to strive towards feeling beautiful or is it like I don't know I almost feel like it might be more helpful to be like okay how can I feel okay in my body like how can I reach a place of acceptance and appreciation because beauty is I don't know it's kind of a lot yeah no that's such a perfect way to describe it is kind of a lot (laughs) (laughs) and that's actually what our whole mission has been about it's about I don't care if people feel beautiful, to be honest with you. The problem is most people, it's been so ingrained in us that beauty is so important that people can't even see another step forward unless it's getting closer to expanding their ideas of beauty. I want people to know that they are more than beautiful. I'm not really worried about if you feel beautiful, but a lot of people think they need to cross that barrier before they can move on to feeling like they're more than a body. They're more than beautiful. And I can respect that because there is a lot of privilege inherent in fitting any type of beauty ideals. There is a lot of discrimination and bias built into our culture, built into the ways that women are treated in hiring processes, in doctor's offices, not even to mention the dating world. And as a single woman, that's something that's on top of my mind is how to navigate those, all of the different environments where your beauty is being appraised. Your attractiveness is something that is a factor in how people are evaluating you. This pandemic is bringing out all the things. You might have a hard time focusing. You might not be sleeping well. You might have nagging aches and pains. And that is why I am really excited to introduce you to this week's podcast sponsor, Pachamama. Native to Colorado, Pachamama creates award-winning CBD in tincture and topical form. And they use just one local USDA organic hemp farm and a solvent-free extraction method. Instead of artificially flavoring their tinctures, they pair them with ethically sourced adaptogens and superfoods like cacao for better focus, valerian for sleep, and turmeric for recovery. They don't do any animal testing. And I love that when you go on their website, first of all, you can take a personalized quiz to find out which product combination is right for you. And also, they're very transparent. You'll see that they do triple lab testing. They're one of only four CBD brands to test negative for leads, metals, plastics, pesticides, and inaccurate levels of CBD. They're also big on sustainability. So when you get your order, you'll see that it arrives in 100% post-consumer recycled paper. And of course, we're going to hook you up with a code. Go to enjoypachamama.com. That's enjoy, P-A-C-H-A. 
M-A-M-A.com. And the code is going to be FOODHEAVEN for 25% off. That's enjoypachamama.com. And the code is FOODHEAVEN for 25% off. All right, we're going to hop back in. So I have a lot of clients where part of their body image concerns are intertwined with dating and like feeling desirable or not feeling desirable. I have a lot of clients who are single women, um, kind of like you mentioned, Lindsay, and some of them say that like they, you know, maybe when they were in a thinner body, they were approached more, you know, or they feel like they had more prospects with dating and like their lived experience is um, that, you know, when they're in this a larger body or maybe like feeling like they're not conventionally like quote unquote, like beautiful, that they have a hard time. But they, you know, they obviously still like deserve love and deserve to find happiness. I know you talk a little bit about this in the book, but I'm curious, like, what are your thoughts on that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, big conversation there. Uh, you're right. It could be a podcast. Yeah. On its own. <laughs> I think one of the big points I would make there is that dating is hard, whether you are <laughs> amazingly, perfectly beautiful or the furthest right. from desirable and ideal that someone could envision. So the thing is being looking perfect does not make dating any easier. It does not make men more faithful. It does not make men. And we're talking about heterosexual relationships here. And that's where my research is rooted. It doesn't make better men approach you. It might make more men approach you. It might widen your dating pool a bit, but it simply doesn't fix the problems in the ways that we have been taught. Beauty will fix your problems. Like really, if you think about all of the media, all of the messages that we've been exposed to our whole lives, we've been taught that Prince Charming and happiness and, you know, the best dating life or whatever is just on the other side of your weight loss or getting your hair under control or whatever it is. It's always on the other side of some beauty problem that needs fixing. And it turns out that that's not necessarily true because you can look around with your own eyes and see the people who are in happy relationships, the people who have plenty of prospects, have great sex lives. They don't always look like we think they need to look in order to be found desirable by men. And so just as a blanket statement, beauty isn't going to fix your problems. But at the same time, I can absolutely recognize and acknowledge that not fitting the traditional ideals does make it more difficult and it does limit your pool a bit. But it doesn't necessarily mean that the quality of men that you can attract is going to be worse. Those men might be ones who are open to seeing a more dynamic person as opposed to just looking for that perfect 10 and one really stereotypical beauty ideal. That's definitely what I've found. I mean, I'm on the apps, <laughs> just like every other single person out there, <laughs> I feel like. And that is inherently an environment that is super image-based. And so you've got to go in there yeah. with not only some self-assurance that you're okay regardless of what these guys think of you, but also that your worth isn't rooted in how they perceive you. Because they they could sexualize and degrade someone regardless of how they look. You're not inviting that by through your appearance or your body size or whatever. It's definitely a tricky thing, but I think you need to go in knowing that you're not an object. And if men are treating you and messaging you and, you know, acting toward you as if you are something that simply exists to be admired, consumed or whatever, then there's your first red flag. I just did a post about that for Beauty Redefined because that's something that I've definitely experienced. And I think when you can draw the line at not engaging with men who immediately objectify you, you save yourself a lot of trouble even if it's flattering at first, because that's Mm. the thing. When you don't have a perfectly ideal body or look or whatever, you might be super flattered 
by the compliments that someone gives you, especially if you're in the dating world. And that can kind of suck people in. And you think like, okay, well, if the foundation is physical attraction and that spark is there, then I've got to give this guy a chance. And we'll hope that he's a better guy than he maybe sounded at first and whatever. I do think it's important to give people in dating the benefit of the doubt. But I also draw the line at men who say objectifying things toward me. If they just talk about my body, if they fetishize me in any way, I will not engage. And it has saved me a lot of trouble. Mm, That reminds me of a conversation that we had with Virgie Tovar, who's a fat activist. And she was saying that with like dating and stuff, how she's seen in the world is almost like a filter for like filtering out shitty guys. And she was like, basically like when people see me, most guys are not like instantly attracted to how I look. And so the guys that are stepping to me for the most part are genuinely interested in like the person who I am. And and it was a perspective that I hadn't really heard before. And I was like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense because especially with the apps, because like you said, it's so um, image driven, you know, that's really all you have to go by. And then, I mean, what you can write like a sentence about yourself or like a few sentences, <laughs> like these apps don't really let you expand. And so, yeah, like how how you're seen in the world is definitely going to impact the amount of people hitting you up. Yeah. Also, like the type of people that are hitting you up in terms of like appearance, I find as well. Um, so it's really interesting. Yeah, it's a it's a huge conversation. And I think the most important thing is to go into dating, relationship prospects or whatever with a really healthy, holistic sense of self. Yeah that isn't rooted in objectification, that isn't dependent on someone else or lots of other people finding you sexually attractive. And that will allow you to go in as a whole person, not just someone seeking approval. You can know that you should be valued for so many other aspects of your humanity. And that can only be an asset to you going into a relationship. How do you do that? (laughs) Because I feel like in our culture that is so focused on beauty and body and how you look, It sometimes feels like you are, if you reject these ideals, you're swimming kind of upstream or like against the tide. Yeah. Even just, I'll give myself as an example. And of course, like as Wendy mentioned, like I definitely have so many privileges, like light skin privilege, potentially conventional attractive privilege, thin privilege. So, so just putting that on the table too. But even myself, I I find myself like, you know, maybe getting on a zoom call and like apologizing, like, oh my God, I just look so bad or I look so crazy right now. Sorry, everyone. And why am I doing that? That's just so ingrained in our culture. So how do you not do that? And like, how do you reject these ideals? Yeah. Another big question. And I think it's important to note that even you acknowledging the beauty privilege, the light skin privilege, all these other things that should be an asset to you if we're really living in a world that um, rewards beauty. And that if you can really win in this system by being beautiful, by being closest to the ideals, then you should be fine. You shouldn't have any worries at all. You would never apologize for getting on a Zoom call, whatever. But what you're revealing and that what I have seen a hundred thousand times is that beauty does not protect anyone from the harms of objectification in our culture. Because as long as we are being defined by how we appear, and as long as our self-worth is rooted in whether or not we feel beautiful and attractive to other people, then we are going to fail. We are set up for failure in this culture that values our bodies and our faces at the expense of our humanity and who we are. And so that's the first step is to get mad. It's to recognize the ways that you have been harmed 
in a society that values beauty and specific ideals of beauty over so many other aspects of who we are and what we contribute to the world and experience in this world. And that's what I would suggest for everyone. I think it's really important to take inventory of your privileges and advantages in this world that absolutely values some bodies more than others, some faces, some hair textures, some skin colors. I've got a ton of privilege in this area, and I will acknowledge that all day long because it is, it's important to know where your bias as well as your privilege comes from. And I've got a lot of that. But in my work over the last, uh, gosh, 12 years, talking to people, learning from people, other people's perspectives, and reading a really wide variety of research, it is more clear to me than ever that beauty and doing the work your whole life to be able to get closer to these beauty ideals doesn't fix your problems. What will fix your problem is expanding your perspective of who you are and learning to value more about who you are yourself that isn't about how you appear. And that process is really laid out in the book. So this whole idea of being able to see yourself as more than a body, as being able to recognize the waters of objectification and the self-objectification that so many of us are fully comfortable in, is to be able to look around, see not only that you're there, but also the ways that it has actively harmed you. How have you hid in your life? What have you missed out on, dropped out of, What types of opportunities, activities, relationships, whatever, have you not gone out for? Have you hid from because you don't like the way you appear or simply just from the fear that other people will judge how you appear? For most women, we can think of a few things, a few ways that we've held ourselves back and been held back in this culture. And also think of the time, the money, the energy, the self-esteem that you've wasted throughout your life on this endless fixation on chasing beauty ideals. And even if you get to that beauty ideal finish line, which is usually completely out of reach for most of us, it still doesn't fix those problems because your focus, your fixation is still partially going to be on how you appear and how other people are are perceiving you and appraising you as you go throughout your life. I am here for everything that you're saying. And I'm thinking about real life <laughs> situations as well. For example, like I'm like, yes, liberation from objectification, all about it. And then also I'm like, okay, but when I'm going through the apps and I'm like figuring out like, oh, is this a good person for me to date? Like I have height preferences. Like I'm not going to date a person who's 5'1", right? So that's problematic. And that, you know, so I'm just thinking about the subtle ways that all of this manifests, especially in who we're attracted to. Because I think that there's a lot of um, bias that's informed by unrealistic beauty standards and they inform like who we actually um who we actually date, like who we give a chance to. And that I know that's problematic And it also like it just kind of happens. So how do you navigate that in your personal life? Because it's like, you know, we've talked about this on the podcast, like, you know, having a type and how that's problematic. And and I mean, definitely like there are some qualifiers or disqualifiers that are super problematic. But then there there are also other ones like height, for example, that might be a little more subtle. So how do you navigate that in your personal life? Yeah, that's a good question. And what you're expressing is two different sides of this. So it's the ways that we've been taught to objectify other people, including the men and potential partners that we see. And it's also the ways that other people may objectify us and the subtle ways that that shows up in our lives. When it comes to objectifying men, I 
I definitely am aware of that in my life. And the height thing is one of those ways, I think. But we should also be aware that the height preference that women have for taller guys is really shaped by this feeling of wanting to be more feminine in a world that values small women that take up as little space as possible and big men who take up as much space as possible unless they're fat. You know, no body fat on these men. That's the ideal that we are seeing pushed on us all the time the last few years. So recognize how that bias toward taller guys is really just a reflection of what we value in female bodies and how we want to feel. I want to feel small next to him. Mm. I want to feel feminine. It's not necessarily, oh, I love super tall guys. Like you may have linked your sexual attraction to tall guys because of the way they make you feel smaller in proportion. That may be one aspect of it. I'm not saying that's all of it. So I recognize in myself that tendency. And so like on Hinge or whatever, when you can put a preference, I don't set a preference. I don't I don't set that it's a deal breaker if someone is shorter than me. Obviously, as I'm going through their profile, I'm looking for people that I'm attracted to, acknowledging all the different biases and preferences that I bring into that while trying to be as open-minded as possible, but also acknowledging that physical attraction, sexual attraction is an important human part of it. We cannot deny that for men or for women, for however anyone identifies. And so when I'm looking at not objectifying somebody, Um, while also looking for someone that I'm physically attracted to, I will look for, I'll look through someone's whole profile, first of all. I don't say no just based on the first picture. I want to see what they've said about themselves, how they represent themselves. And so if there's a bit of physical attraction, plus one other factor, plus something we have in common, plus something else that I find appealing or interesting, that's my criteria. It can't ever just be physical attraction. And so I think that's, it's really basic, but I think that's pretty decent criteria for people to use is just try to look for one other thing Mm. and also try to weed out the guys who are only looking for one thing. They need to be looking for more than one thing also because I'm more than one thing. I'm more than just a body. And so I try to reflect that in my profile as well. Like, obviously I want to look good, look attractive, but I also want to represent myself as a whole dynamic person. You know, I've got a little bit of personality showing on there and a couple of things that guys can choose to comment on that isn't just, hey, you look hot. I think that's really important. I love that. Girl, you need to be a dating coach. Oh, yes. Ah, (laughs) I know. (laughs) This is like, oh my God. It's just like (laughs) taking me to, it takes me to church in so many ways. Everything that you have said. Oh my God. And like things that we haven't thought about. It's just like with men and like, yeah, is part of it just like us in comparison to them. And that's like, what we're looking at and what we're valuing, not because of these like ideals. So, oh my God. Okay. I feel like this is the last like, ma- like kind of main question because I want to be cognizant of not <laughs> uh, making the interview too long, but self-objectification. We haven't really touched on that. And that's a, kind of a big component of the book. You know, obviously like there's other people object- objectifying us. We're objectifying people, but a big part of it is objectifying ourselves. And one of the things you talk about is like not only selfies, but like the pictures that we choose to post online are typically pictures where it's like an angle where we may look thinner or or even if we do post a picture where it may not be as conventionally flattering, we make sure to label it like here's me like, you know, at this angle that's not flattering. Oh my God, I'm so brave. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like And your, yeah, your thoughts. Sure. Yeah. Self-objectification is this hugely important piece of the body image puzzle that almost everyone else leaves out. 
And so Lexi and I, through our PhD research, we really identified this idea of objectification as being the root of all of the evil (laughs) that we experience against our own bodies because we are evaluating ourselves as something to be seen as objects as opposed to who we are and how we experience the world. And so self-objectification is how we internalize that. We see ourselves first and foremost as something to be admired and evaluated. And that leaves part of our mental energy constantly dedicated to how we look. So you might be alone in the room. You might be walking down the street. You might be taking a test. You might be in a board meeting. And part of your mental energy will be dedicated to how do my thighs look on the chair right now? Can the person next to me see um, my fat roll over the top of my jeans? Is the person behind me looking at my hair that I didn't wash today? And so I'm a little embarrassed of how greasy it is. Part of your energy is going to be dedicated to monitoring that appearance. And this is something that should not be so natural and invisible to us. This is learned behavior. This isn't just what every human on earth does. When you describe this phenomenon to a group of men, most of them are like, what are you talking about? How do you function like that? That doesn't mean all men, of course, but self-objectification is a problem that is rooted in the objectification of women specifically in our culture because it's become so invisible, so normal to us. It's just the default. The camera pans up and down women's bodies. It zooms in on parts of women's bodies. The dialogue, the characters, the way they treat people depends on how those people look. And all of that happens in media made for women. This isn't just media for men to look at women. And so all of that shapes the way you see yourself. Then we take that same self-objectifying perspective that's so focused on our beauty and we represent ourselves that way in social media. And of course we do because the validation, the likes, everything is so oriented toward valuing beauty and attractiveness. And so one thing we talk about in the book is called selfie objectification, which is kind of like a tongue in cheek way to talk about the ways that self-objectification shows up in our own phones and our social media accounts. And so I talk about how we are we have this vision of ourselves and when we're worried about perfecting it and looking good from all the right angles, that shows up in the photos we take of ourselves. So if you post a selfie on Instagram or whatever, if you look through your phone, you might have 50 or more selfies from similar angles with different lighting before you even get to that one. And that's the behind the scenes that most people don't ever get to see, although you know it's there and you're not the only one who is looking through the pictures, trying to imagine how you look the best and how other people will perceive you and take in this photo. And all of that is just a reflection of what we value and how we learn to view our own faces and bodies. It isn't necessarily wrong, of course, to post selfies and to share what you believe to be attractive photos of yourself on the internet. But we do need to be aware of the amount of mental space and energy and time that is dedicated to trying to portray ourselves so perfectly and and the amount of our self-worth that is um, affected by how many likes we get, how many comments we get. Are people telling me I look hot? Am I getting DMs from this? Or if it's low, then my self-worth might tank. I might feel like, oh, why did I even do that? I'm so gross. When your self-worth is tied to how you appear, then it can go up and down for a million different reasons. And that that's not a healthy way to live. It's just yeah. not. 
it's exhausting. Oh my God. I'm remembering like one time yeah. I took like a hundred selfies because I was feeling shitty. And I was like, and then I, and then I like went back and I was like, okay, out of these hundred selfies, I have to pick like two. And then I have to feel like, what am I doing? I'm I just spent like all this. It's so, it's an ordeal. Yeah. It's so exhausting. It's like, oh my God. With the, yeah. When you live in a world that values beauty and teaches you that getting closer to beauty and feeling beautiful is going to be your key to empowerment, then of course we think by picking the perfect selfie and posting it online and getting a ton of likes, then we'll finally feel like, all right, I've yeah. got it. I'm as, I have all the confidence I need to get out there. But it's not true. We know yeah. what goes into that. It is unsustainable. So that's a good example. Same, like taking a million pictures. But there was one day where I was like, F this. Um, so I took a, like I had a cute picture that was an, <laughs> it was like an old picture. <laughs> and I actually it was like, the, maybe like I took two and I was like, oh, this is cute. Put a filter on it, posted it on Instagram stories. But then right after I was like, well, let me show what I actually look like right now. Cause I was like sick and I had like a piece of tissue up my nose. I looked really crusty and I, I posted it and people were like, are you okay, sis? <laughs> So it's just like, that's the thing. We're just all so used to being perceived in this like perfect way. And if you deviate, it's just like, it's almost like you're crazy. Totally. And that can be exhausting. But I love the <laughs> tips and um, everybody buy the book because they go into much more detail. And also just like one last thing. Well, there's so much to talk about, but I'm just thinking like when you're like when you're feeling yourself, right? Where you're like, oh, yes, I'm a bad <laughs> bee. Like, I'm, you know, my skin is like glowing right now. Maybe you got some makeup on. You got a cute outfit. And there's so much pressure to document that. Yeah. And it's like, oh, my God, I got to, yeah. you know, like I have to take a picture at this very moment instead of just like sitting in that really nice feeling of like you're feeling yourself and like let me just share that with myself yeah, instead of just living your yeah. life and as soon as you start to push back on that pressure it's so liberating like to be able to go on a vacation mm. or to really be feeling yourself that day or get a new haircut or whatever and not post it on the internet for people there's freedom in that absolutely yeah yeah well mm -hmm. we could keep going and going but we 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 gotta we wrap really it up. Could. We gotta wrap. It. So okay, <laughs> tell our listeners where they can find you, your book, all of the great things that you're doing. Yeah, thanks. So the book is called More Than a Body. Your body is an instrument, not an ornament. It's by Lindsay Kite and Lexi Kite, PhD. You can get that anywhere. It's on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. It's available in English worldwide, also on Audible and Kindle and every other way that you buy books. Nice. We are on Instagram at beauty underscore redefined. And our website is morethanabody.org. So if you go there, you can see the book. Um, we have an online course, just a ton of other content there. So nice. really appreciate you guys having me on. It was so nice to talk to you both. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of the Food Heaven podcast. If you haven't already, make sure to connect with us online. We're most active on the gram at Food Heaven, but we're also on Facebook and Twitter at Food Heaven Show. If you like this podcast, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. Yep, our podcast is released every Wednesday and each week we take a deep dive into topics like health at every size, food and culture, intuitive eating, mental health, and body acceptance. If you're looking for a sustainable and inclusive path to wellness, come hang out with us to learn how to take care of yourself from the inside out. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.